Section 10 of The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day, by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 8 Within the bounds of Annandale, the gentle Johnstones ride. They have been there a thousand years, a thousand more they'll bide. Old Ballad The character and quality of Sir Patrick Charteris, the provost of Perth, being such as we have sketched in the last chapter, let us now return to the deputation which was in the act of rendezvousing at the East Port in order to wait upon that dignitary with their complaints at Kinfounds. And first appeared Simon Glover, on a pacing palfrey, which had sometimes enjoyed the honour of bearing the fairer person, as well as the lighter weight of his beautiful daughter. His cloak was muffled round the lower part of his face, as a sign to his friends not to interrupt him by any questions while he passed through the streets, and partly perhaps on account of the coldness of the weather. The deepest anxiety was seated on his brow, as if the more he meditated on the matter he was engaged in, the more difficult and perilous it appeared. He only greeted by silent gestures his friends as they came to the rendezvous. A strong black horse of the old Galloway breed, of an undersize, and not exceeding fourteen hands, but high-shouldered, strong-limbed, well-coupled, and round-barreled, bore to the east port the gallant smith. A judge of the animal might see in his eye a spark of that vicious temper which is frequently the accompaniment of the form that is most rigorous and enduring but the weight, the hand, and the seat of the rider, added to the late regular exercise of a long journey, had subdued his stubbornness for the present. He was accompanied by the honest bonnet-maker, who being, as the reader is aware, a little round man, and what is vulgarly called duck-legged, had planted himself like a red pincushion, for he was wrapped in a scarlet cloak, over which he had slung a hawking pouch, on the top of a great saddle which he might be said rather to be perched upon than to be stride the saddle and the man were girthed up the ridge-bone of a great trampling flemish mare with a nose turned up in the air like a camel a huge fleece of hair at each foot and every hoof full as large in circumference as a frying-pan the contrast between the beast and the rider was so extremely extraordinary that whilst chance passengers contented themselves with wondering how he got up his friends were anticipating with sorrow the perils which must attend his coming down again for the high-seated horseman's feet did not by any means come beneath the laps of the saddle he had associated himself to the smith whose motions he had watched for the purpose of joining him for it was oliver proudfoot's opinion that men of action showed to most advantage when beside each other and he was delighted when some wag of the lower class had gravity enough to cry out without laughing outright there goes the pride of perth there go the slashing craftsman the jolly smith of the wind and the bold bonnet-maker it is true, the fellow who gave this all-hail thrust his tongue in his cheek to some scapegraces like himself, but as the bonnet-maker did not see this by-play, 
he generously threw him a silver penny to encourage his respect for Marshallis. This munificence occasioned their being followed by a crowd of boys, laughing and hallooing until Henry Smith, turning back, threatened to switch the foremost of them, a resolution which they did not wait to see put in execution. "'Here are we the witnesses,' said the little man on the large horse, as they joined Simon Glover at the East Port. "'But where are they that should back us? Ah, Brother Henry, authority is a load for an ass rather than a spirited horse.' it would but clog the motions of such young fellows as you and me i could well wish to see you bear ever so little of that same weight worthy master proudfoot replied henry gow were it but to keep you firm in the saddle for you bounce aloft as if you were dancing a jig on your seat without any help from your legs ay ay i raise myself in my stirrups to avoid the jolting she is cruelly hard set this mare of mine but she has carried me in field and forest and through some passages that were something perilous so jezebel and i part not i call her jezebel after the princess of castile isabel i suppose you mean answered the smith ay isabel or jezebel all the same you know but here comes bailey cragdally at last with that poor creeping cowardly creature the pottingar they have brought two town officers with their partisans to guard their fair persons i suppose if there is one thing i hate more than another it is such a sneaking varlet as that dwining have a care he does not hear you say so said the smith i tell thee bonnet-maker that there is more danger in yonder slight-waisted anatomy than in twenty stout fellows like yourself pshaw bully smith you are but jesting with me said oliver softening his voice however and looking towards the pottingar as if to discover in what limb or lineament of his wasted face and form lay any appearance of the menace danger and his examination reassuring him he answered boldly blades and bucklers man i would stand the feud of a dozen such as dwining what could he do to any man with blood in his veins he could give him a dose of physic answered the smith dryly they had no time for further colloquy for bailey cragdally called to them to take the road to kinfounds and himself showed the example as they advanced at a leisurely pace the discourse turned on the reception which they were to expect from their provost and the interest which he was likely to take in the aggression which they complained of the glover seemed particularly desponding and talked more than once in a manner which implied a wish that they would yet consent to let the matter rest he did not speak out very plainly however fearful perhaps of the malignant interpretation which might be derived from any appearance of his flinching from the assertion of his daughter's reputation dwining seemed to agree with him in opinion but spoke more cautiously than in the morning after all said the bailey when i think of all the propines and good gifts which have passed from the good town to my lord provost i cannot think he will be backward to show himself more than one lusty boat laden with bordeaux wine has left the south shore to discharge its burden under the castle of kinfounds i have some right to speak of that who was the merchant importer and said dwining with his squeaking voice i could speak of delicate confections curious comfits loaves of westal bread and even cakes of that rare and delicious condiment which men call sugar that have gone thither to help out a bridal banquet or a kirstening feast or such like but alack bailey cragdally wine 
is drunk comfits are eaten and the gift is forgotten when the flavor is passed away alas neighbor the banquet of last christmas is gone like the last year's snow but there have been gloves full of gold pieces said the magistrate i should know that who wrought them said simon whose professional recollections still mingled with whatever else might occupy his mind one was a hawking glove for my lady i made it something wide her ladyship found no fault in consideration of the intended lining well go to said bailey Craigdaly. the less i lie and if these are not to the fore it is the provost's fault and not the town's they could neither be eat nor drunk in the shape in which he got them i could speak of a brave armor too said the smith but kogan nashi peace or war i care not as john highlandman says i think the knight of kinfounds will do his devoir by the burg in peace or war and it is needless to be reckoning the town's good deeds till we see him thankless for them so say i cried our friend proudfoot from the top of his mare we roistering blades never bear so base a mind as to count for wine and walnuts with a friend like sir patrick charteris nay trust me a good woodsman like sir patrick will prize the right of hunting and sporting over the lands of the burg as an high privilege and one which his majesty the king's grace accepted is neither granted to lord nor loon save to our provost alone as the bonnet-maker spoke there was heard on the left hand the cry of so so waw waw ha being the shout of a falconer to his hawk methinks yonder is a fellow using the privilege you mention who from his appearance is neither king nor provost said the smith ay marry i see him said the bonnet-maker who imagined the occasion presented a prime opportunity to win honour thou and i jolly smith will prick towards him and put him to the question have with you then cried the smith and his companion spurred his mare and went off never doubting that gow was at his heels but craig daly caught henry's horse by the reins stand fast by the standard he said let us see the luck of our light horseman if he procures himself a broken pate he will be quieter for the rest of the day from what i already see said the smith he may easily come by such a boon yonder fellow who stops so impudently to look at us as if he were engaged in the most lawful sport in the world i guess him by his trotting hobbler his rusty headpiece with the cock's feather and long two-handed sword to be the follower of some of the southland lords men who live so near the south run that the blackjack is never off their backs and who are as free of their blows as they are light in their fingers whilst they were thus speculating on the issue of the rencounter the valiant bonnet-maker began to pull up jezebel in order that the smith who he still concluded was close behind might overtake him and either advance first or at least abreast of himself but when he saw him at a hundred yards distance standing composedly with the rest of the group the flesh of the champion like that of the old spanish general began to tremble in anticipation of the dangers into which his own venturous spirit was about to involve it 
yet the consciousness of being countenanced by the neighborhood of so many friends the hopes that the appearance of such odds must intimidate the single intruder and the shame of abandoning an enterprise in which he had volunteered and when so many persons must witness his disgrace surmounted the strong inclination which prompted him to wheel jezebel to the right about and return to the friends whose protection he had quitted as fast as her legs could carry them he accordingly continued his direction towards the stranger who increased his alarm considerably by putting his little nag in motion and riding to meet him at a brisk trot on observing this apparently offensive movement our hero looked over his left shoulder more than once as if reconnoitring the ground for a retreat and in the meanwhile came to a decided halt but the Philistine was upon him ere the bonnet-maker could decide whether to fight or fly, and a very ominous-looking Philistine he was. His figure was gaunt and lathy, his visage marked by two or three ill-favoured scars, and the whole man had much the air of one accustomed to say, Stand and deliver to a true man. This individual began the discourse by exclaiming, in tones as sinister as his looks, the devil catch you for a cuckoo why do you ride across the moor to spoil my sport worthy stranger said our friend in the tone of pacific remonstrance i am oliver proudfoot a burgess of perth and a man of substance and yonder is the worshipful adam craigdelly the oldest bailey of the burg with the fighting smith of the wind and three or four armed men more who desire to know your name and how you come to take your pleasure over these lands belonging to the burg of perth although none the less i will answer for them it is not their wish to quarrel with a gentleman or stranger for any accidental trespass only it is their use and wont not to grant such leave unless it is duly asked and-and therefore i desire to know your name worthy sir the grim and loathly aspect with which the falconer had regarded oliver proudfoot during his harangue had greatly disconcerted him and altogether altered the character of the inquiry which with henry gow to back him he would probably have thought most fitting for the occasion the stranger replied to it modified as it was with a most inauspicious grin which the scars of his visage made appear still more repulsive you want to know my name my name is the devil's dick of helgarth well known in annandale for a gentle johnstone i follow the stout laird of wamfray who rides with his kinsman the redoubted lord of johnstone who is banded with the doughty earl of douglas and the earl and the lord and the laird and i the esquire fly our hawks where we find our game and ask no man whose ground we ride over i will do your message sir replied oliver proudfoot meekly enough for he began to be very desirous to get free of the embassy which he had so rashly undertaken and was in the act of turning his horse's head when the annandale man added and take you this to boot to keep you in mind that you met the devil's dick and to teach you another time to beware how you spoil the sport of any one who wears the flying spur on his shoulder with these words he applied two or three smart blows of his riding-rod upon the luckless bonnet-maker's head and person some of them lighted upon jezebel who turning sharply round laid her rider upon the moor and galloped back towards the party of citizens 
proudfoot thus overthrown began to cry for assistance in no very manly voice and almost in the same breath to whimper for mercy for his antagonist dismounting almost as soon as he fell offered a winger or large wood-knife to his throat while he rifled the pockets of the unlucky citizen and even examined his hawking-bag swearing two or three grisly oaths that he would have what it contained since the wearer had interrupted his sport he pulled the belt rudely off terrifying the prostrate bonnet-maker still more by the regardless violence which he used as instead of taking the pains to unbuckle the strap he drew till the fastening gave way but apparently it contained nothing to his mind he threw it carelessly from him and at the same time suffered the dismounted cavalier to rise while he himself remounted his hobbler and looked towards the rest of oliver's party who were now advancing when they had seen their delegate overthrown there was some laughter so much had the vaunting humour of the bonnet-maker prepared his friends to rejoice when as henry smith termed it they saw the oliver meet with a roland but when the bonnet-maker's adversary was seen to bestride him and handle him in the manner described the armourer could hold out no longer please you good master bailey i cannot endure to see our townsmen beaten and rifled and like to be murdered before us all it reflects upon the fair town and if it is neighbour proudfoot's misfortune it is our shame i must to his rescue we will all go to his rescue answered bailey craigdelly but let no man strike without order from me we have more feuds on our hands it is to be feared than we have strength to bring to good end and therefore i charge you all more especially you henry of the wind in the name of the fair city that you make no stroke but in self-defence they all advanced therefore in a body and the appearance of such a number drove the plunderer from his booty he stood at gaze however at some distance like the wolf which though it retreats before the dogs cannot be brought to absolute flight henry seeing this state of things spurred his horse and advanced far before the rest of the party up towards the scene of oliver proudfoot's misfortune his first task was to catch jezebel by the flowing rein and his next to lead her to meet her discomfited master who was crippling towards him his clothes much soiled with his fall his eyes streaming with tears from pain as well as mortification and altogether exhibiting an aspect so unlike the spruce and dapper importance of his ordinary appearance that the honest smith felt compassion for the little man and some remorse at having left him exposed to such disgrace all men i believe enjoy an ill-natured joke the difference is that an ill-natured person can drink out to the very dregs the amusement which it affords while the better moulded mind soon loses the sense of the ridiculous in sympathy for the pain of the sufferer let me pitch you up to your saddle again neighbour said the smith dismounting at the same time and assisting oliver to scramble into his war saddle as a monkey might have done may god forgive you neighbour smith for not backing of me i would not have believed in it though fifty credible witnesses had sworn it of you such were the first words spoken in sorrow more than anger by which the dismayed oliver vented his feelings the bailey kept hold of my horse by the bridle and besides henry continued with a smile which even his compassion could not suppress i thought you would have accused me of diminishing your honour if i brought you aid against a single man but cheer up 
The villain took foul odds of you, your horse not being well at command. That is true, that is true, said Oliver, eagerly catching at the apology. And yonder stands the fatour, rejoicing at the mischief he has done, and triumphing in your overthrow, like the king in the romance, who played upon the fiddle whilst a city was burning. Come thou with me, and thou shalt see how we will handle him. Nay, fear not that I will desert thee this time. So saying, he caught Jezebel by the rein, and galloping alongside of her, without giving Oliver time to express a negative, he rushed towards the devil's dick, who had halted on the top of a rising ground at some distance. The gentle Johnstone, however, either that he thought the contest unequal, or that he had fought enough for the day, snapping his fingers and throwing his hand out with an air of defiance, spurred his horse into a neighboring bog, through which he seemed to flutter like a wild duck, swinging his lure round his head, and whistling to his hawk all the while, though any other horse and rider might have been instantly bogged up to the saddle-girths there goes a thoroughbred moss trooper said the smith that fellow will fight or flee as suits his humour and there is no use to pursue him any more than to hunt a wild goose he has got your purse i doubt me for they seldom leave off till they are full-handed yeah yeah yes said proudfoot in a melancholy tone he has got my purse but there is less matter since he had left the hawking-bag nay the hawking-bag had been an emblem of personal victory to be sure a trophy as the minstrels call it there is more in it than that friend said oliver significantly why that is well neighbor i love to hear you speak in your own scholarly tone again cheer up you have seen the villain's back and regained the trophies you had lost when taken at advantage ah henry gow henry gow said the bonnet-maker, and stopped short with a deep sigh, nearly amounting to a groan. "'What is the matter?' asked his friend. "'What is it you vex yourself about now?' "'I have some suspicion, my dearest friend, Henry Smith, that the villain fled for fear of you, not of me.' "'Do not think so,' replied the armourer. "'He saw two men and fled, and who can tell whether he fled for one or the other?' Besides, he knows by experience your strength and activity. We all saw how you kicked and struggled when you were on the ground. Did I? said poor Proudfoot. I do not remember it, but I know it is my best point. I am a strong dog in the loins. But did they all see it? All as much as I, said the smith, smothering an inclination to laughter. But thou wilt remind them of it? Be assured I will, answered Henry, and of thy desperate rally even now. Mark what I say to Bailey Cragdally, and make the best of it. It is not that I require any evidence in thy favor, for I am as brave by nature as most men in Perth, but only— Here the man of valor paused. But only what? inquired the stout armorer. But only I am afraid of being killed. To leave my pretty wife and my young family, you know, would be a sad change, Smith. You will know this when it is your own case, and will feel abated in courage. "'It is like that I may,' said the armourer, musing. "'Then I am so accustomed to the use of arms and so well-breathed that few men can match me. "'It's all here,' said the little man, expanding his breast like a trussed fowl and patting himself with his hands. "'Here is room for all the wind machinery.' "'I dare say you are long-breathed, long-winded. At least your speech be raised.' 
my speech you are a wag but i have got the stern post of a drummond brought up the river from dundee the stern post of a drummond exclaimed the armourer conscience man it will put you in feud with the whole clan not the least wrathful in the country as i take it st andrew man you put me out i mean a drummond that is a large ship i have fixed this post in my yard and had it painted and carved something like a soldan or saracen and with him i breathe myself and will wield my two-handed sword against him thrust or point for an hour together that must make you familiar with the use of your weapon said the smith ay marry it does and sometimes i will place you a bonnet an old one most likely on my soldan's head and cleave it with such a downright blow that in troth the infidel has but little of his skull remaining to hit at that is unlucky for you will lose your practice said henry but how say you bonnet-maker i will put on my headpiece and corslet one day and you shall hew at me allowing me my broadsword to parry and pay back eh what say you by no manner of means my dear friend i should do you too much evil besides to tell you the truth i strike far more freely at a helmet or bonnet when it is set on my wooden soldan than i am sure to fetch it down but when there is a plume of feathers in it that nod and two eyes gleaming fiercely from under the shadow of the visor and when the whole is dancing about here and there i acknowledge it puts out my hand of fence so if men would but stand stock still like your soldan you would play the tyrant with them master proudfoot in time and with practice i conclude i might answered oliver but here we come up with the rest of them bailey cragdelly looks angry but it is not his kind of anger that frightens me you are to recollect gentle reader that as soon as the bailey and those who attended him saw that the smith had come up to the forlorn bonnet-maker and that the stranger had retreated they gave themselves no trouble about advancing further to his assistance which they regarded as quite insured by the presence of the redoubted henry gow they had resumed their straight road to Kinfounds, desirous that nothing should delay the execution of their mission. As some time had elapsed ere the bonnet-maker and the smith rejoined the party, Bailey Cragdelly asked them, and Henry Smith in particular, what they meant by dallying away precious time by riding uphill after the falconer. "'By the mass, it was not my fault, Master Bailey,' replied the smith. "'If ye will couple up an ordinary low-country greyhound with a highland wolf-dog, you must not blame the first of them for taking the direction in which it pleases the last to drag him on. It was so, and not otherwise, with my neighbour Oliver Proudfoot. He no sooner got up from the ground, but he mounted his mare like a flash of lightning, and, enraged at the unknightly advantage which yonder rascal had taken of his stumbling-horse, he flew after him like a dromedary i could not but follow both to prevent a second stumble and secure our overbold friend and champion from the chance of some ambush at the top of the hill but the villain who is a follower of some lord of the marches and wears a winged spur for his cognizance fled from our neighbour like fire from flint the senior bailey of Perth listened with surprise to the legend which it had pleased Gow to circulate, for, though not much caring for the matter, he had always doubted the bonnet-maker's romancing account of his own exploits, which hereafter he must hold as in some degree orthodox. The shrewd old Glover looked closer into the matter. 
you will drive the poor bonnet-maker mad he whispered to henry and set him a ring in his clapper as if he were a town bell on a rejoicing day when for order and decency it were better he were silent oh by our lady father replied the smith i love the poor little braggadocio and could not think of his sitting rueful and silent in the provost's hall while all the rest of them and in especial that venomous pottinger were telling their mind thou art even too good-natured a fellow henry answered simon but mark the difference betwixt these two men the harmless little bonnet-maker assumes the airs of a dragon to disguise his natural cowardice while the pottinger wilfully desires to show himself timid poor-spirited and humble to conceal the danger of his temper the adder is not the least deadly that he creeps under a stone i tell thee son henry that for all his sneaking looks and timorous talking this wretched anatomy loves mischief more than he fears danger but here we stand in front of the provost's castle and a lordly place is confounds and a credit to the city it is to have the owner of such a gallant castle for its chief magistrate a goodly fortalice indeed said the smith looking at the broad winding tay as it swept under the bank on which the castle stood like its modern successor and seemed the queen of the valley although on the opposite side of the river the strong walls of elko appeared to dispute the pre-eminence elko however was in that age a peaceful nunnery and the walls with which it was surrounded were the barriers of secluded vestals not the bulwarks of an armed garrison tis a brave castle said the armourer again looking at the towers of kinfounds and the breastplate and target of the bonny course of the tay it were worth lipping a good blade before wrong were offered to it the porter of kinfounds who knew from a distance the persons and characters of the party had already opened the courtyard gate for their entrance and sent notice to sir patrick charteris that the eldest bailey of perth with some other good citizens were approaching the castle the good knight who was getting ready for a hawking party heard the intimation with pretty much the same feelings that the modern representative of a burgh hears of the menaced visitation of a party of his worthy electors at a time rather unseasonable for their reception that is he internally devoted the intruders to mehound and termagant and outwardly gave orders to receive them with all decorum and civility commanded the sowers to bring hot venison steaks and cold baked meats into the nightly hall with all dispatch and the butler to broach his casks and do his duty for if the fair city of perth sometimes filled his cellar her citizens were always equally ready to assist at emptying his flagons the good burghers were reverently marshalled into the hall where the knight who was in a riding habit and booted up to the middle of his thighs received them with a mixture of courtesy and patronizing condescension wishing them all the while at the bottom of the tay on account of the interruption their arrival gave to his proposed amusement of the morning he met them in the midst of the hall with bare head and bonnet in hand and some such salutation as the following ha my master eldest bailey and you worthy simon glover fathers of the fair city and you my learned pottinger and you stout smith and my slashing bonnet-maker too who cracks more skulls than he covers how come i to have the pleasure of seeing so many friends so early i was thinking to see my hawks fly and your company will make the sport more pleasant aside i trust in our lady they may break their necks that is always unless the city have any commands to lay on me 
Butler Gilbert, dispatch, thou knave, but I hope you have no more grave errand than to try if the Malvoisie holds its flavor. The city delegates answered to their provost's civilities by inclinations and congees, more or less characteristic, of which the Pottengar's bow was the lowest and the smith's the least ceremonious. Probably he knew his own value as a fighting man upon occasion. To the general compliment, the elder Bailey replied, "'Sir Patrick Charteris and our noble Lord Provost,' said Craig Daly gravely, "'had our errand been to enjoy the hospitality with which we have been often regaled here, "'our manners would have taught us to tarry till your Lordship had invited us, as on other occasions. "'And, as to hawking, we have had enough on't for one morning, "'since a wild fellow, who was flying a falcon hard by on the moor, "'unhorsed and cudgelled our worthy friend Oliver Bonnetmaker, or Proudfoot, as some men call him, merely because he questioned him in your honour's name and the town of perth's who or what he was that took so much upon him and what account gave he of himself said the provost by st john i will teach him to forestall my sport so please your lordship said the bonnet-maker he did take me at disadvantage but i got on horseback again afterwards and pricked after him gallantly he calls himself richard the devil how man he that the rhymes and romances are made on said the provost i thought that smake's name had been robert i trow they be different my lord i only graced this fellow with the full title for it indeed he called himself the devil's dick and said he was a johnstone and a follower of the lord of that name but i put him back into the bog and recovered my hawking bag which he had taken when i was at disadvantage sir patrick paused for an instant we have heard said he of the lord of johnstone and of his followers little is to be had by meddling with them smith tell me did you endure this ay faith did i sir patrick having command from my betters not to help well if thou settest down with it said the provost i see not why we should rise up especially as master oliver proudfoot though taken advantage at first has as he has told us recovered his reputation and that of the burg but here comes the wine at length fill round to my good friends and guests till the wine leap over the cup prosperity to st johnston and a merry welcome to you all my honest friends and now sit you to eat a morsel for the sun is high up and it must be long since you thrifty men have broken your fast before we eat my lord provost said the bailey let us tell you the pressing cause of our coming which as yet we have not touched upon nay prithee bailey said the provost put it off till thou hast eaten some complaint against the rascally jackmen and retainers of the nobles for playing at football on the streets of the burg or some such goodly manner no my lord said craig daly stoutly and firmly it is the jackmen's masters of whom we complain for playing at football with the honour of our families and using as little ceremony with our daughter's sleeping-chamber as if they were in a bordel at paris a party of reeving night-walkers courtiers and men of rank as there is but too much reason to believe attempted to scale the windows of simon glover's house last night they stood in their defence with drawn weapons when they were interrupted by henry smith and fought till they were driven off by the rising of the citizens 
how said sir patrick setting down the cup which he was about to raise to his head cock's body make that manifest to me and by the soul of thomas of longville i will see you righted with my best power were it to cost me life and land who attests this simon glover you are held an honest and a cautious man do you take the truth of this charge upon your conscience my lord said simon understand i am no willing complainer in this weighty matter no damage has arisen save to the breakers of the peace themselves i fear only great power could have encouraged such lawless audacity and i were unwilling to put feud between my native town and some powerful nobleman on my account but it has been said that if i hang back in prosecuting this complaint it will be as much as admitting that my daughter expected such a visit which is a direct falsehood therefore my lord i will tell your lordship what happened as far as i know and leave further proceeding to your wisdom he then told from point to point all that he had seen of the attack sir patrick charteris listening with much attention seemed particularly struck with the escape of the man who had been made prisoner strange he said that you did not secure him when you had him did you not look at him so as to know him again i had but the light of my lantern my lord provost and as to suffering him to escape i was alone said the glover and old but yet i might have kept him had i not heard my daughter shriek in the upper room and ere i had returned from her chamber the man had escaped through the garden now armorer as a true man and a good soldier said sir patrick tell me what you know of this matter henry gow in his own decided style gave a brief but clear narrative of the whole affair honest proudfoot being next called upon began his statement with an air of more importance touching this awful and astounding tumult within the burgh i cannot altogether it is true say with henry gow that i saw the very beginning but it will not be denied that i beheld a great part of the latter end and especially that i procured the evidence most effectual to convict the knaves and what is it man said sir patrick charteris never lose time fumbling and prating about it what is it i have brought your lordship in this pouch what one of the rogues left behind him said the little man it is a trophy which in good faith and honest truth i do confess i won not by the blade but i claim the credit of securing it with that presence of mind which few men possess amidst flashing torches and clashing weapons i secured it my lord and here it is so saying he produced from the hawking pouch already mentioned the stiffened hand which had been found on the scene of the skirmish nay bonnet-maker said the provost i'll warrant thee man enough to secure a rogue's hand after it is cut from the body what do you look so busily for in your bag there should have been there was a ring my lord which was on the knave's finger i fear i have been forgetful and left it at home for i took it off to show to my wife as she cared not to look upon the dead hand as women love not such sights but yet i thought i had put it on the finger again nevertheless it must i bethink me be at home i will ride back for it and henry smith will trot along with me we will all trot with thee said sir patrick charteris since i am for perth myself look you honest burghers and good neighbours of perth you may have thought me unapt to be moved by light complaints and trivial breaches of your privileges such as small trespasses on your game the baron's followers playing football in the street and such like 
but by the soul of thomas of longville you shall not find patrick charteris slothful in a matter of this importance this hand he continued holding up the severed joint belongs to one who hath worked no drudgery we will put it in a way to be known and claimed of the owner if his comrades of the revel have but one spark of honour in them hark you gerard get me some half-score of good men instantly to horse and let them take jack and spear meanwhile neighbours if feud arise out of this as is most likely we must come to each other's support if my poor house be attacked how many men will you bring to my support the burghers looked at henry gow to whom they instinctively turned when such matters were discussed i will answer said he for fifty good fellows to be assembled ere the common bell has rung ten minutes for a thousand in the space of an hour it is well answered the gallant provost and in the case of need i will come to aid the fair city with such men as i can make and now good friends let us to horse end of section ten